Hello and welcome to The Bravest Kind, a podcast featuring behind-the-scenes stories of fearless individuals demonstrating bravery and kindness in their everyday lives. I'm your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I am a firefighter and EMT with the Kirkland Fire Department located just outside of Seattle, Washington. My guest today is Dr. John Jaquish. Dr. Jaquish is a scientist, inventor, and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He has spent years researching and developing improved approaches to health. His latest endeavor is creating X3, a technology that has proven to develop muscle much faster than conventional weightlifting, all with the lowest risk of joint injury. Dr. Jaquish methods are used in training the world's most elite athletes and associations, such as the entire Miami Heat organization, various NFL and NBA players, as well as Olympians. Dr. Jaquish and I discuss his philosophies around health and wellness, why people often fail when trying to stick with conventional strength and nutrition programs, and what drives him to be a catalyst for change within the fitness world. One note before we get started with today's episode. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and rate The Bravest Kind with Ryan Schaefer on either Apple or Spotify podcasts. Also, if you like this episode and think of someone else who may find this inspiring, please share this with them via social media or text. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Dr. John Jaquish, welcome to The Bravest Kind, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Absolutely. Likewise. So you have an interesting background, having created a bone density building medical device, which has reversed osteoporosis for thousands. You started a company with Tony Robbins, among others, called OsteoStrong. You've also launched your own product, the X3 Bar which uses a bar and resistance bands for strength training. And we'll discuss that product in detail here throughout the interview. Uh, you've also written a Wall Street Journal bestselling book called Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. Dr. Jaquish, talk to me about how you got your start as a scientist and inventor in the field of fitness. Uh, well, I was never in the field of fitness. I don't even think I am in the field of fitness. I don't think <laughs> yeah. I've ever been. In fact, I even wonder if that's a thing. Okay. Like fitness is more like um, the business of selling gym memberships or selling a, a, a product that might look like exercise, but isn't. So nobody's really interested in results. They're interested in selling something. Well, I guess I could say that about any industry, but fitness is particularly bad. Uh, in fact, I, I think the industry is probably the most failed human endeavor of all of them. Because if you look at who's really fit, I mean, you know, like let's, let's say the standard is, you know, ancient Greek or Roman statues. Okay. It looks like that. Yeah. Maybe one one hundredth of 1% of the population. Yeah. Like almost nobody. So, um, so what are we doing? Like, and when I say that the conventional way of doing things is, incorrect or, or it lacks the results that people are looking for, uh, people get mad at me because they've been doing standard weight training for a long time. You can't defend it. Most people who work out go into gyms year after year and nothing changes. They don't put on any muscle. They don't lose any body fat. There's still, you know, uh, sort of too much body fat and, you know, little to no muscular change. So uh, now I can explain that. I can explain why that that's happening with standard weight training and what's better. I feel as though you're describing me a little bit. 
Uh, dude, I just described <laughs> everybody. Like I lived yeah. it for 20 years and got nothing out of it. Yeah. And I was a scientist. So like I, I had to sit here and go like, there, there's something wrong with what we're doing. But I looked and, you know, in the defense of everybody who trolls me, I'll say, I mean, most of those people are just jealous losers. But uh, the people who have a problem with the science or they think they have a problem with the science, I say, look, people aren't getting the results. Don't defend what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, like I put in the book, uh, an economics quote from Milton Friedman, uh, judge programs by the results, not their intentions. So the intentions of lots of different things that we do might be, might sound great, but that doesn't mean it works. You know, like we could, we could say that about, uh, you know, the welfare system in the, in the country. Uh, we've tripled the amount of poor people. It was supposed to do the opposite. So you know, uh, and I, I, same same thing with weight training. Like most people quit, not because they're lazy. It has nothing to do with lazy. It's because they don't see any changes. And uh, so to answer your question, what got me started on this was the medical device industry. I developed a medical device to treat my mother's osteoporosis. And uh, that's now called OsteoStrong. And uh, that's, that's in nine different countries, uh, 100, about 160 clinics now. Um, and so that's highly successful and it's, it's moving on its own, but I was busy with that when doing the first clinical trial, uh, for that technology it was done in London and, um, you know, the, the professors from the university of East London were asking me questions. And one of the test subjects who was, uh, an administrator at the hospital and a physician, she says to me, we're putting huge forces through our lower extremity, specifically the hip joint. That's how the device works. Just loads your body uh, in in a very specific way to emulate high impact. And she says, people who lift weights don't lift weights this high. And I said, you're right. You're right. You, I'm talking to a very petite elderly female. Uh, She was the oldest one in the group. And, uh, She's never lifted a weight in her life, and she's using more weight than some of the strongest people in the world would use full range. But she's only compressing, you know, that much. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's meant for bone compression. But the force she's creating is just so much higher. And so I compared what what people uh, did with the OsteoStrong devices to uh, the NAINS database. So the NA's database is health and exercise information. Uh, There's about 20,000 subjects studied. Uh, they add about 2,000 per year, and it may be more than 20,000 now. I think it was 20,000 the year that I did a review. Basically, people are seven times stronger in the impact-ready range of motion than they are in the weaker range of motion. So if I'm seven times stronger at extension at a bench than I am towards the bottom of the bench press, well, then weightlifting doesn't make any sense at all because we need something that exhausts us based on our capacity in range. So mm-hmm. some, the whole model doesn't work. And it explains why. Now, there's something else that I discovered. Once, once I realized, like, first I thought, well, you know, I'm busy with a company 
you know, with Osteo Strong, like I've got a job, I've invented something else. Like maybe I'll just license this invention to, um, you know, another fitness manufacturer. Cause I did not want to jump into the fitness market. I, I saw it as like, I liked medicine because when you talk to doctors, you show them the evidence, that's it. They see the evidence, they like it. And they're like, yeah, I will definitely prescribe this to my patient. It's black and white. Not, right. not, not much gray area, right. right? With fitness, you're dealing with people who don't have the intelligence to read research. And I'm not saying everybody in the fitness industry is like that. I'm just saying the vast majority of fitness fans, uh, they find you know bodybuilding.com articles to be complicated. And that is written for, I think, like a kindergarten reading level, like really, really basic. So, yeah, I mean, the the level of illiteracy and just spectacular poor intelligence in that in that group of people was like it was uh, was blowing my mind. And this is exactly what the other fitness companies told me. They're like, oh, you want to make a scientific argument to a fitness community? Yeah, that's not going to work. Like these people are really unintelligent. Like, this is the lowest common denominator. You couldn't find a dumber group of people. And they were right. So we pivoted. We changed who we were focusing on to busy professionals. So busy professionals are part of the fitness market. The fitness market's huge. You know, who doesn't want to be fit? It's almost like everybody. I mean, men and women. They all have looked into fitness at some point. Uh, but the ones who maybe don't spend their day participating in the forum conversations on bodybuilding.com. Uh, there's a great, there's a great uh, thread in there where somebody's explaining how they're eight days in a week. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Guys, 100% bought into this idea. Sometimes I wish there were, but. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds great. So, uh, so what, what I did um, was when, when we went after busy professionals, well, They've tried regular fitness, and they're, they're the people who are smart enough to know when they're wasting their time. So, and this is where I got the whole, like, weightlifting is a waste of time thing. Mm-hmm. So many, I mean, thousands of emails came in from customers saying, like, I was wasting my time lifting weights. I had no idea that variable resistance was really the key to everything when it comes to strength. And uh, now that I know this, I'll never lift a weight again. And so I, I got the similar email a thousand times and I thought, yeah. okay, weightlifting is a waste something. of time. That's what I'm going to call my book. And just right out of the mouths of uh, the customers. Let's talk a little bit about your product, the X3 bar specifically. I know it uses the bar as well as resistance band. And I've done a little bit of work with resistance band, but I came across an interview you did while I was doing some research on you where you said that using resistance bands alone isn't necessarily enough. So what is it that the X3 bar provides for people that they can't get from using run-of-the-mill resistance bands? So I have a resistance band right here. Mm-hmm. Now, the X3 bands are built to be like 50 times stronger than what you get at Walmart, um, and they're made out of a different material. They're, 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 they're for serious strength. If anybody's like talking about how their strength program is going to run uh, revolve around like a $5 band they bought at Walmart. They're not really serious about fitness anyway. So here's what people will do. They'll take the band, they'll put it behind the back like this, and then they'll lay on the ground and do a push-up. Well, the problem is, now this is a 250-pound band. So I 
I, I won't even be able to push it out because it's twisting my wrists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you get the banding heavy enough, it twists your wrists and twists your ankles and could break the wrists and ankles. Uh, in fact, the heaviest band we have is uh, 600 pounds in the deadlift format for a six foot tall person. Um, now, when Dr. Sean Baker does it, it's 750 pounds. Uh, he's six foot four. Uh, so, it, like, incredible force. But you need a platform to stand on where the bands can move underneath and stretch and flex, where your ankles don't have to deal with that lateral force. Because it only takes seven pounds of force to break an ankle laterally. Anybody in the NFL will tell you that because that's what ends their careers. So they pay attention. Conor McGregor will tell you that now too. Yeah. I think he got kicked in the titty. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. The guy can't catch a break. Maybe no. he was all hype. I don't know. Anyway, I like his attitude. So oh, I did too. I, I, I don't think he was all hype. I think maybe, I think maybe as his, uh, he's gotten more and more successful, uh, perhaps, other other forces uh outside but i think he was legit the real deal once upon a time i think so too it's it's funny though like you know as soon as mike tyson lost the yeah. first time he lost yeah. then he kept losing yeah like, did you just lose it and I, I think the answer was everybody was just terrified of him that's i think you're right. it was invincible yeah people would enter the ring and they were already done whether it was against mcgregor or mike yeah. tyson or or yeah. you know even if uh, even outside the ring if you think of you know, like, like pinkerton like practically ran out of yeah. the ring he was so terrified of the man he's a professional boxer and he ran away from somebody in the ring where he was paid millions of dollars to be there you know, it's a little bit like once the four-minute barrier in the mile was broken, right? The floodgates opened. All, sudden, all these people were right, doing it. Right, it's right, kind of right. like, like you said, Same once thing. somebody beat Tyson, once somebody beat McGregor, it's like, oh, these guys are not invincible. So, yeah, not invincible. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, so so bands by themselves, there's a reason they were never successful. They've been around for 50 years. And, yeah, people have said, oh, yeah, all you need is bands. Except then you look at their workout and you're like, yeah, it's like a workout where you're working out with, like, maximum 10 20 pounds like you're not going to get anything out of that Mm -hmm. because ultimately if you want to grow muscle there's absolutely no getting away from heavy so x3 allows you to train heavier than you ever would in a gym like the kind of deadlifting i do i'm 44 years old and i and i deadlift with over 600 pounds i would never ever do that no, it's crazy and can you explain that a little i actually watched a video on you and and it was basically showing how in fact, I was trying to uh, talk to some people about this the other day, and I, I don't, I'm unable to say it as eloquently, obviously, as you are. This is your field, but how, you know, it's hard getting that bar moving if you're just doing a deadlift with a traditional mm-hmm. barbell. And so, what you have allows you to it, right? The, the 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 force or the it's almost like the weight that you're lifting increases as you're going through that range of motion. Right. Am I explaining that yeah. correctly? Right. So, where whereas most people, the limiting factor of how much they can deadlift is simply getting that bar moving off the floor. But once you're going, you can conceivably oh, yeah. be lifting more weight. And so is, yeah, is that correct? And that's more of your product size, then, yeah. then it's, you're getting it up there, but it's when it's below your knees that it's I'm like, Oh, it's the hard part. Right. Uh, right. And it shouldn't be that way. Like you shouldn't be limited. What's so bad about, about regular weightlifting is that when you're in that weaker range of motion, you hardly have access to any of the tissue. You're firing the absolute minimum amount of tissue to get it off the ground. But that's the only taxing part of the movement because when you're at the top of the movement, it's light. Yeah. 
Right. Same, same thing with a up for people who aren't, aren't deadlifters out there who are listening. You know, you see kids cheat when they do pushups and they only go halfway down because that top part of the pushup, you can hang out there all day. Exactly. Right. But you start touching your nose against the ground. Now it got hard. So there's a hard part and the rest of it's easy. So why don't we just load each range of motion appropriately so it gives us an even exhaustion throughout all ranges. So you get a total wipeout of ATP, glycogen, and creatine phosphate, all the fuels that are needed for contraction. The more you wipe that out, the more your body replenishes, the more your body leaves there. So that's called sarcoplasmic muscular growth or hypertrophy. Or hypertrophy, if you're a dumbass. Um, yeah, you know, bodybuilding.com. So um, the, the, uh, the other type is myofibril, which people almost never get. And in fact, I, I posted on Instagram a study from 2008. And people gave me shit because it was an older study. Well, this hasn't been studied since then. So 2008 is the latest study. So, right. you know, fuck you. <laughs> but they don't know that. So, you know, just yeah. it's easy, it's easy to sit in the, sit in the stands and complain. Uh, or, or what did Babe Ruth say? The loudest boos come from the cheap seats. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Just the way of calling his haters yeah. losers. Yeah. Always, losers. always easy when you're not in the, uh, not, not in the mix. Right. Not, not, not actually, on the field. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah when so you're not on the field playing, always the easiest. Yeah. Always yeah. easiest uh, arm, armchair quarterback. And that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Myofibril growth, 26% of people cannot, under any circumstances, build muscle hmm. with regular weights, no matter what the hell they do. I'm going to tell you why, but that's what the study determined. 26% failed to ever have any muscle protein synthesis at all. So they were fed the right stuff. And, and, uh, and so like a lot of weightlifting studies, they use weightlifters. Well, if somebody's already a weightlifter, chances are they've built some muscle already. Yeah. So they don't have some sort of genetic problem. But if 26% of people have a genetic factor that keeps them from ever growing muscle. Now, the rest of the people aren't growing tons of muscle either. The rest of the people are having some, you know, you know, whatever, something beyond a nominal response, some measurable response. But we all remember when we started lifting. Like I remember when I was 16, I think I put on like 10 pounds in like a couple months and it was like, wow, like I, is, yeah. if it's going to keep going like this, I'll, you know, I'll be bigger than Arnold. Yeah. yeah. Well, it didn't keep going. So we all get the initial 10 when we're 16 and then, and then nothing happens after that. And, uh, the reason, and this is in the, the la- last part of the book, the last chapter talks about genetics. Okay, good. I was gonna, I was going to ask you a question about this. So I'm glad you're I'm glad you're okay. going down this path right now. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. So I hear people make excuses for themselves. I have bad genetics. Like, mm, okay. I mean, people do. If you want to be in the NBA and you're five foot eight, that's bad genetics. But you know, if you want to be, uh, you want to ride horses, you're probably doing great. So. You know, there's there's advantages and disadvantages to everything. Mm-hmm. Or being a gymnast, there are, there are mm-hmm. no six foot tall gymnasts. That's there's, right. I think there's maybe one or two of them at any given professional moment. Uh, I'm six three. That's the only reason I didn't pursue that path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. my lack of flexibility too. 
So, so really, you had nothing going for you. I, I, I had nothing going for me in the realm of gymnastics. Who, who am I kidding? I didn't either. Um, but yeah. So, so what? What is? What is the genetics that people are talking about now? When they say they have bad genetics, what they're really saying is they tried a bunch of stuff and nothing worked. So they just decided to blame genetics. Half true. Um, the people that put on muscle easily, and uh, I've got a great sample size, got a great, great sample of, of these people. It's the NFL players I work with. So 17 NFL players I work with, all of them, you know, they put on muscle when they were mowing lawns when they were kids. Yeah. Like, you know, they became muscular and got compliments on their physique before they even started lifting just by doing whatever it is they do. And here's why. When you look at the, at the pectoral insertion points of someone, so my, my pectorals here, most people have an insertion point before the bicep okay. on the humerus bone. So the movement pulls, when I contract, the pectoral pulls the humerus bone towards the midline of the body. Right. So that you can see that's more of like a dumbbell fly sort of thing, but that happens in a, in a bench press also. So as I'm moving forward, my humerus is pivoting towards the middle line of the body. Some people are lucky enough to, instead of having it in the standard spot right here at the okay. top of the bicep, they have it on the other end. Hmm. Mike Tyson is one of these people. So an advantageous tendon layout. So these are the people who put on muscle very easily. And I also go into the biochemical differences. The abnormality of having high testosterone is almost unheard of. Like I, I think when I, at the time I wrote the book, only one person had been kicked out of sports because of the natural testosterone. Level. Got it. Okay. So that, that's almost a fallacy to say that somebody has a significantly higher level of testosterone right. than right. People than the general have public. depressed testosterone because they eat garbage food like soy, like soil completely trashed your testosterone for, for long term. So the, knowing what was wrong, like finally figuring out what was wrong with most people and why some people can just put on muscle easily, it's a mechanical problem. Well, I came up with a mechanical solution because once you use X3, the leverage, the fact that you have a longer moment arm here with mm -hmm. somebody who has the attachment here versus here is irrelevant Everybody can get the same stimulus because you're basically just like the person who genetically can fire more muscle when they're in the weaker range of motion because they have a longer lever here. Well, it doesn't matter if the resistance is variable. Now, are they still going to be able, like Mike Tyson can be right up against somebody's face, two inches from their face, and he can knock them out, mm -hmm. which was so bizarre for a boxer. And this is why Customato immediately knew he would be the greatest boxer the world had ever seen because the guy had knockout power two inches from his face. No boxer has ever had that. So and it was because of this, this genetic mutation. That's wild. It's, right. But now everybody can get as strong as Mike Tyson or any of these NFL guys that I work with because the biomechanics are normalized. Like that advantage is no longer an advantage when you use X3. It'll actually even help somebody with the mutation, but it'll really help somebody without the mutation. Can I ask you real quick on that mutation? You talked about the insertion point around the bicep. Is there any impact when it comes to lower extremities, uh, be it the glutes and hammies? And oh, sure. Yeah. Every, every muscle has its tendon insertion points, and that mutation tends to be throughout the body. 
So it's not like they just have it for the pectorals and they don't have it for the quads. Right. Uh, and, you know, you see guys, uh, um, I don't know, the guy's a real name, Wheels, because mm-hmm. he has such big quadriceps. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't know, like, guys, I don't, really talk about I don't know. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. So anyway, yeah, whatever. So uh, if I knew I'd help you out, I'd give you a lifeline, but sure. I don't know Yeah, it's, it's cool. But, I mean, everyone who's listening who knows who, who he is yeah. knows. Yeah, like the guy, like he just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, he was hugely muscular. And then there's pictures of him six months later. And I don't know, he put on 30 pounds of muscle, like just crazy gains. And this guy was super young and he had incredible deadlift power, incredible squat power. And uh, yeah, it was just like uh, the comments were made like, well, this guy was obviously just born to lift. He was born to grow because he has that same tendon mutation or similar tendon mutation. A lot of the guys who end up being strong, but now that is meaningless with what we know about variable resistance, what's in the book and X3. Let me circle back around to diet. So when I looked at nutrition, I I came at it from a, a really clear, like I didn't have any preconceived ideas. Like, um, once I started doing the research, like I was pretty sure veganism wasn't the answer uh, because like my field is bone and there've been 20 studies that have looked at bone density and, uh, and vegan nutrition and vegan nutrition damages bone heavily. Like people lose bone density very quickly when they go vegan. And, uh, and a lot of that damage may be permanent. Like they're, they could die of, a, of complications of fragility fracture in their 50s. Um, and 20 out of 20 studies have the same conclusion. It's not like there's any gray area here. So I already knew like veganism was like, it's just not healthy. I think it's going to go down in history like anorexia and bulimia. I'm just curious what your take is, I'm, I'm assuming, given the field you're in and all the, the research that you've done and know, you've watched the movie The Game Changers. Uh, yes, I wasted two hours. Yeah, and what I mean, any? Do you just think that's all just bunk? I mean, what? What's I don't your, think I mean, it's all it's all lies. Like it's been proven. Every point in there is false. Um, it wasn't it wasn't worth watching. It was totally fraudulent. Uh, Nutritionfacts.org is a completely fraudulent website that's got a lot of like um, just vegan propaganda on it. It's not science. If they if they quote a study, they're misquoting the study. Or, or there's a lot of studies that are, are paid for by like like big food, you know, mm-hmm. big snack food producers. And guess what? Snack food producers love vegans yeah. because they know vegans don't eat kale. Vegans eat cookies and cake because it's not meat, right? So they can eat Oreo cookies by the sleeve. I've seen them do it. And uh, they're, they, they're bragging about how healthy they are while, while they're just getting diabetes, just as fast as they can. Well, I said, I said on Instagram the other day, I said, when people say, and this was in quotes, I can't give up my veggies. I said, this is the vegetable they're talking about. And it was a picture of a Snickers bar. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, I mean, when you were a little kid, did you want to eat any vegetables? Nope. No, no. Like it, getting kids, kids to eat vegetables is like a Herculean effort. Oh, trust me. I've got a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't want to eat any of that. And there's a reason because it tastes like shit. <laughs> and, um, and our biochemistry doesn't want it. Uh, we want nutrition. 
Like I, you probably figured it out. I'm, I just kind of say it how it is. That's good. I appreciate it about you. Right. My, my opinion, the vegetables taste like shit is my opinion. But the scientific stuff I'm talking about, that's not my opinion. That's scientific mm-hmm. research. So, so you know, 20 out of 20 studies find that uh, vegan nutrition causes early osteoporosis. So, I mean, right there, it's toxic. Destroying bone. You need bones to live. And if you break them, especially like hip joints, your life ends much sooner. So, yeah, uh, yeah the, the whole thing is just a science denial. But science denial seems to be cool, you know, as of late uh, for some people, I guess. So, so anyway, when I approached nutrition, I thought, okay, I know it's not veganism, but what is the nutrition that is going to make us live the longest? And it just so happens that there are two things in let's call it health physiology research that are determinants of long life that have never been contested. So no conflicting research. There's conflicting research all over nutrition. But if we take a step back and we say, what's going to cause us to live the longest? And nobody's arguing about it. It's high levels of strength and low levels of body fat. Yep. Okay. There's only one nutrition program that's going to give you those two things to the highest degree. And that's carnivore nutrition. Plenty of animal protein. Uh, now, I, I, I'm totally down for having a, a conversation about sustainability. Um, probably the most earth-friendly thing to do is to eat only grass-fed beef. Because a grass-fed cow can keep a human alive for a year. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like chickens are not that efficient. And, uh, yeah, while they grow quickly, um, they, more chemicals are needed to take care of them. And, uh, you know, you, you have to destroy a lot of, a lot of lives. You want to have the least amount of life impact grass fed beef. Also 7 billion animals are destroyed every year for the sake of vegetable farming. You know, they poison birds by the tens of thousands. You never hear that from a vegan. They just, you know, do this. They don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. So any species that's claiming land from another species is, is killing it. Yeah. And that's just, that's just the way the animal kingdom works. And we're part of that. So we take a habitat away from something and we're killing that something. And, uh, and then when it tries to come into our new habitat, which used to be theirs, you know, the birds see the cornfield and like, Oh, great. I'll eat that. Well, there's little feeder bowls above the corn stalks that are with poison seeds. So they eat the poison seeds and they all drop dead. And then they get all kind of swept up into a, you know, kind of makeshift landfill on the farm. And this happens all the time. So back to, back to what the best nutrition was, um, not eating. So time restricted eating or fasting is incredible. Also, there's an anabolic rebound that no one knew about, uh, that I put in the book from fasting. When you're done fasting, your body is far more anabolic than it is when you try and be anabolic at all times. So you want to leverage that. So that's why I eat one meal a day. So I'm basically, I I have my Fortigen, which is the only supplement I take. Where does Fortigen come from? Bacterial fermentation. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a fermentation and the fermentation can grow on, you know, just about anything used to grow on rotting meat. 
because we need to eat rotting stuff. That's what what's missing in our diet for us. sanitation reasons. Obviously, we shouldn't go out and you know leave a leave a steak, you know, on the kitchen counter for a week and then decide to cook it up. Like you know, that you're gonna get sick from that. But we need uh, fermented stuff in our okay. system, and so the bacterial fermentation. I do four doses of that a day. Uh, take that with about a liter of water, and that's at the okay. end of my dry fast right before my workout. So I, I do dry fasting 20 hours a day, every day. No food, no water. Nothing. Okay. No. Not even water. Because I always feel like that's the one thing I hear all the time. Anything I ever is just is set your body afloat with water. Yeah. Yeah. Hydra- hydration research is um, – now, the whole like two liters of water that you need a yeah. day or a glass of water, you know where that came from? No. Um, the water, like the water bottle companies made that shit up. They're made up to sell water. So you don't need that. So you dry, okay. So you dry fast 20 hours a day mm-hmm. and then you take your, you take your Fortigen. And then, right. And then I start rehydrating myself. I do my workout. Okay. And then, uh, and then I'll have my one meal, dinner. Is that timing important to you as far as doing the, the Fortigen before the workout and then eating your, your one meal a day post-workout? Does the, does the order of all that matter? The order does matter because I uh, try and trigger hyperplasia also, which is the yep. splitting of muscle cells. And there's a specific protocol that I – it's 20 pages of the book, so I'm going to okay. give you yeah. a – I won't oversimplify it, but it will be simplified. So right. basically – you use carbohydrates uh, as well as a vasodilator. Mm-hmm. So I take a vasodilator, like there's a bunch of them, you know, Cialis, Viagra, uh, and everybody starts laughing when you say Viagra, ha, yeah, yeah get it out of your system. Uh, it's, it's made for blood flow. In fact, uh, vasodilators, Viagra itself was made as a cardiac me- medication. It was not meant to help you with your erection. That, that wasn't the original. I, did, I actually did know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we're using it for blood flow reasons. And so you take that and then I take uh, 40 grams of glucose tablets because I never, ever want fructose in my system. Fructose okay. is terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fructose seems to not have a pathway to being used. Like it seems to just get stored as fat. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that would make sense in a way. Like, I don't understand how, I don't understand how in every case, but fructose just, it's real ugly when you look at the research of fat storage where somebody will have an only glucose or only sucrose carbohydrate portion of their diet. And then the the guys who, there was a study not not, not that long ago where 25% was fructose. And this was the only group that was putting on body fat rapidly. And they were even eating at a caloric deficit. Hmm. So fructose sucks. And then you hear people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to carb up before my workout. And what do they have? They have a Snickers bar because they think all carbohydrates are equal. No, they are not. Not at all. And, you know, not all a calorie is not a calorie. Like a calorie that's a fat is very different value than a calorie that's a carbohydrate. Uh, So, you know, carbohydrates really have one physiological use when it comes to being in shape, which is the hydration of muscle. So in this protocol, I, I over, I hyperhydrate. 
the musculature. And then I work out and then I stretch. And the idea is to open up the casing of the muscle, the muscle fascia. And when that gets stretched, that takes a limit off of cell splitting. So normally your cells cannot divide in the musculature, but they can if you do this protocol correctly. Yeah. So that's why I want to have my hydration and my workout kind of put together because I want to get the benefit of the dry fast also. Understood. And then work out. And then how much are you consuming at your one meal? It sounds like you're mostly doing beef, only beef, or are you just doing steaks? Yeah, just steaks. Uh, some days it'll be chicken. You know, like uh, some days my, my fiance gets a little tired of steak every day. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, now I try and mix it up. I'm like, well, we had ground beef last night. What do you mean? Like, but yeah. you know, that's how I think. That's not how she thinks. Will you ever, will you ever go off the rails and just have this like crazy cheat day and go out and drink and have dessert? And nah, you know, are you just pretty laser focused? Carbohydrates are addictive. They're physiologically addictive and they're psychologically addictive. Yeah. Um, sugar is as difficult a habit for mice to break as cocaine. Yeah. So there's a reason why people get angry when you tell them they can't have that. Like they really, really want it. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're addicted. And so like people are like, why don't you do a cheat day? And I'm like, I don't know. Do alcoholics get a cheat day? Hmm. Like does an alcoholic one day a week just get to get fucked up and do all the heroin and just have a great time? No, they can't do that. So, uh, you know, like, Never thought of it that way, but yeah, like a, this stuff. Fair, all, uh, that analogy, it, yeah, if you put it like that. Yeah, so just get it out of your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a bad ex-girlfriend that keeps on cruising through. Like, <laughs> just 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 yeah. poking at you, just just messing with you, just screwing things up for all the other girls that are trying to, you know, hit on you, and you and you're like, Why are you here? Finally you go, yeah. I'm gonna move so you can't come over anymore. You know, and you just like go away. Like you just got to rip the bandaid off and just get carbohydrates out of your life. And carbohydrates are like a bad girlfriend. Now, it, it, let me say, let me say this one thing. Yeah. Carbohydrates. I, I love, so most scientists will say like, I don't like looking at an animal model because animal uh, biochemistry is different than human biochemistry. While that is true, animals don't go out drinking the night before the study and then lie to the scientist about it, right? But humans do that all the time. So the observations of what happens with humans, because we're not allowed to keep people in cages during studies, probably for good reason, uh, we, like, we, can't really, we don't really know what they're doing. We know what they tell us, but we don't know what they're doing. But animals are great because, like I said, they don't go out drinking so or, or lie about, you know, whatever. Like they, they can be put into a cage and we can see how they react to certain, uh, to certain foods. And so a bear will give itself type 2 diabetes every year before hibernation. So a bear comes out of hibernation and it's light. Like it has very little body fat. You ever see it like a skinny bear? Those are the ones you yeah. cannot ever outrun, even with like yeah. maybe your car. Yeah. Uh, like they will like tear a bumper off. Like they're, they're mad. They're hungry. Uh, they haven't eaten in a couple of months. They're fast, like, oh, frightening. 
Stay away. If you bump into a bear in like, you know, October, mm-hmm. they're fat, they're slow, they're lethargic. Yeah. You can probably like, you know, take a couple pictures. Don't get too close because they still don't yeah. like to feel corn. <laughs> but uh, there's a bear in my yard the other day and yeah, uh, took a bunch of pictures of it. Yeah, big fat bear. Yeah. Uh, right ready for hibernation. And, you know, I yeah. told everyone, they was like, it's going to attack you. And I'm like, no, it is right now. It is more afraid of me than I am of it. However, in the springtime, that bear would wreck me, probably kill me. And I mean, it was probably like a 600 pound bear. It was huge. Um, so yeah, that not, not, not my, it was in my, my, my parents' backyard. Everybody knows what my parents' backyard is. Cause I do some filming there. It's gorgeous for you. People get pissed off. Like, Oh yeah, you're, you're selling your X3 so you can pay for that ridiculous view. It's like, it's my dad's view get off my back. It is beautiful. I've watched some of your videos. Yeah, you right? I, 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 yeah, yeah no, I know the view. Like I was, it's like, it's the Millennium yeah, Falcon. You know, like fly right through yeah. there. So I'm like, there's no way that's real. So, so um, bears give themselves type 2 diabetes. And let's think about when carbohydrates, specifically fructose, blooms. When is it out there in nature? It's only out there in nature towards the end of the hot season, going into the cold season. So, like, if bears wanted to eat honey and berries in the spring, there's, there is none. So, they got to eat meat. And the same thing happened with indigenous tribes. So anytime somebody tells you, oh, yeah, the Native, Native Americans, they only ate vegetables. Yeah, bullshit. First of all, they didn't have any. There, weren't any, there wasn't any asparagus here yet uh, that was brought over by Europeans. Uh, so there were not hardly any vegetables. There was some fruit, mm-hmm. but they would only be there at the end of the year. So what they would do, they'd do the same thing the bears do, without, just minus the hibernation. So they'd go and gorge themselves on peaches when peaches were available, and then they'd be fat for the winter. So body fat actually keeps you alive. Like really, you don't want to be really lean if you're going to go spend, uh, spend a couple months in the Arctic circle. Yeah. You, you know, you probably have to get fat before you do that because you want it to, you want that layer to protect you. It is literally insulation for your body. Plus you can live off of it. If you, you have a lot of adipose tissue, you can go months without food and you can just live off your body fat. Now I'm, you're not going to get many people to be happy doing that, but it's the truth. Yeah, it's like the uh, you know the TV show Alone, or I don't know if you've ever seen it. Around, I think it's on the History Channel, but they're secluded in their own little part on okay. an island. Yeah, and, I, I know. Um, yeah, but anyway, I always think that, right? I mean, they always end up just losing an insane amount of weight. But if I went on that show, I just plump myself up big time. Yeah, for, for a few months before going out yeah. there and surviving, ah, trying to survive in the wild. <laughs> like, yeah, I yeah. got enough calories to last a, this whole show. Yeah. So be my guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now, speaking of not fat is you. And for those that haven't seen you, uh, I'm encouraged to to go find uh, Dr. John Jaquish uh, on on social media. Um, Again, with your book, you are a large and shredded dude. Thank you. I've also heard you talk about with your product, the X3 bar, being just 10 minutes a day. Is that truly your word? I mean, do you have your size? and leanness by putting, by using that product 10 minutes a day. hundred percent. Oh, it's crazy. That's how I do it. I'm ready to go make a purchase when we're done here. I, like in the last six months, it, the workout takes me longer than 10 minutes because the larger muscle becomes, the more oxygen you need to recover that muscle. You know, mm-hmm. like now, like when I look at my, the girth of my biceps, so my bicep is about that big, you know, it's 
bigger than a mini football. Yeah. When I train biceps, I'm like out of breath for like a, a minute. That's crazy because I'm contracting basically what's one of the smaller muscles in the body, but it's got big enough on me to where it's got a serious blood demand. And yeah. this is part of the myth that like strength athletes have bad cardio. No. Strength athletes have bigger muscles, which pull more blood, which make them out of breath, which makes it look like they have bad cardiovascular health. But the truth is strength athletes have better cardiovascular health than endurance athletes. There's more than 100 studies that came to that conclusion, and they're in the book. Uh, actually, a meta-analysis that references 100, because so, I didn't want to bore everybody with summarizing 100 studies, when, a, when another study had already done so. Uh, so the, um, yeah, like, so, so strength athletes, like if I run up a flight of stairs, now I'm sweating a little bit, probably a little bit out of breath, but a guy, so I'm 240 pounds, 140 pound guy could run up a flight of stairs and he's fine. Well, yeah, but my, my legs are like four times bigger than his are. So that's why, like, it's, you know, like uh, you're not going to get, you, you don't you don't look to Formula One cars to uh, look for fuel efficiency. Now, okay, we're going to build the next the next Prius. Let's check out what Formula One's doing. Different purpose, bad place to look. Mm-hmm. Those cars are meant to go as fast as possible, not conserve fuel. I was going to ask you about that. So, especially pre kids, I actually did a lot of endurance training, and I've run a handful of marathons, and I did an Ironman triathlon, and mm-hmm. I live up in Seattle, so. Uh, you know, alpine climbing, mountaineering uh, is big here, and I've summited quite a few mountains. Do you find any virtue in endurance training? Oh, it's enjoyable. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not what you want to do if you want to lose body fat. The problem is sustained endurance training upregulates cortisol. Now, I mean, like I like hiking. Part of the reason my office is by Lake Tahoe is because it's not because I hate the woods. Like, you know, like the mountains, the rivers, the snow, it's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess from time to time I'll go on like a 20 mile hike or something like that. Yeah. But like, I don't do that for my house. That's more for your soul. Yeah. It's enjoyable. Just That's like almost mental, mental well-being. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like in... I try not to keep my heart rate sustained up for more than 30 minutes. So I'll walk for, you know, hard, hard pace for 20 minutes and then just kind of stop and, you know, look around. And why is that? Is that due to the cortisol? Yeah. Yeah, Explain to me and our listeners about that. Cause I've heard you discuss that in some other interviews that I was trying to learn a little bit more about you. And and you talk about that following intense cardio training. So Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about how that works from a scientific standpoint and why that's detrimental so this is this actually references nutrition a little bit um you know people say like calories in calories out i mean Mm -hmm. this is this is the dumbasses that think that they can get all of their nutrition information from a meme right you know a sentence fragment with a picture and that's going to be like their whole program like if you think things are that simple you're going to fail because it's not that simple um, applying the laws of thermodynamics to weight loss is imagining the human body is as complex as an ice cube. So, you know, you raise the temperature, you melt the ice cube. So you have less energy going in the human body than 
than uh, than the body's using, you're going to lose body fat or not, or you'll lose muscle. Like with cardio, for example. So when you do cardio, you upregulate cortisol. Cortisol does two things. And here's the problem with calories in, calories out thing is, is I hear it all the time and it's so stupid because it completely ignores the fact that we have hormones in our body that call for a lot of different things and different processes and reprioritize things in the body. When you're a strength athlete, muscle is the priority. When you're an endurance athlete, um, endurance is the priority. So what is the best way? Like think, think if, if, if uh, a group of people were designing a car and they wanted to make it really fuel efficient They make a lightweight frame. So how does the body make a lightweight frame? It gets rid of your bone density because your bones are your frame, right? So you lose bone density. Cortisol makes you lose bone density. Uh, another thing that cortisol does is makes you sacrifice muscle tissue. Well, if you want to make your body into an endurance vehicle, you don't want a big engine. You want a tiny engine. And also, the bigger the engine, the more weight you're carrying around. So you want to cut the weight, too. So cortisol gets rid of muscle. But, and here's the worst part, it preserves body fat. So the priority of what should be metabolized is muscle and not fat. So you stay as fat as possible, as long as possible. Because if you're going to be an endurance machine, you need that stored fuel. So that's like a big gas tank. If you want want a car that goes a huge distance, you got to have a big gas tank and a small engine and a lightweight frame. But that's not the result most people are looking for. Most people don't want to be skinny fat. That's what we call skinny fat. You you have a decent amount of body fat and you lose all your muscle. So, you know, like... Like, um, go to, go to an endurance race and, and look at the, look at the glutes on, mm-hmm. on the people in the race. It's like, they don't have any, yeah. but they have quite a bit of body fat. And, uh, you know, especially the people out there and they're good looking short shorts, they got cellulite on. Them. So how is this healthy? And you have covered in cellulite. Well, the truth is, I mean, healthy. We define healthy in a lot of different ways, but we know the two greatest drivers of long life are high levels of strength and low levels of body fat, and they have neither. So it's not healthy. Yeah. So that that's just why I'm. I tell people don't if you do cardio, do it because you love it. Don't mm-hmm. do it because you think it's going to cause you to be lean and strong because it'll do the opposite. Got it. You are a busy guy. You've got your hands, as I mentioned at the at the start, in a lot of different businesses. I, I feel like I just saw something of you on Instagram. I don't know if you're on the Vegas Strip demoing your product not long ago. Um, you work with the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that you also have uh, quite a few NFL players uh, that, that use your product and that you work with. What drives you? I don't know. I like to win. Yeah, I like, uh, I like problem solving. So, so, uh, you know, I solved the strength training problem and I solved the bone density problem before that. And, uh, now I can't take credit for Fortigen because Fortigen was originally, it was called something else, but, uh, it was a cancer medication, uh, or cancer treatment protocol to keep people from muscle wasting. And it's the only essential amino acid that's really worked, um, so 
I'm, uh, other scientists figured that out, but I, uh, I brought it to market as Fortigen. Is Fortigen, the na- is that just the name of your product or yeah. is that the, okay, are you one of the few, if not the only, that's actually produced this to, uh, to, to go to market and to sell? I'm the only one. You are the uh, Right. Okay. And, and the, the other ones that are out there, like people, so essential amino acids have been out there for, I don't know, 50s, maybe even 75 years. I don't know how long, mm-hmm. um, longer than I've been around. And uh, they never did anything. Like people would take essential amino acids and they would see no change whatsoever. But um, it's because the standard amino acids are just made incorrectly. They're not made with bacterial fermentation. They're done with some other method, so they're not usable by the body. It's sort of like when you take a multivitamin. Is there vitamin D in there? Yeah. But if it's a solid pill, you, you can't use it because vitamin D is an oil. So they denature the oil to put it in the in the vitamin, but it's unusable. So it just you just have expensive urine because it's going right through you. So uh, and that that's that's the problem with uh, a lot of these essential amino acid products. So I looked at that that space and I built one that actually works. And, uh, and so that's what Fortigen is. And if somebody takes okay. Fortigen and they grow 10 pounds of muscle and then they switch to a cheaper brand, which is one, one of the things that had been around for 50 years and didn't work, they'll see it still doesn't work. But it, it's really interesting how other amino acid companies like started kind of copying the Fortigen marketing, but okay. they're, they're lying. It's, that's not what it is. So they say it's the same, but it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. If you could have a conversation with the 20 year old version of yourself, what advice would you give you? Just keep going. And I, I actually, uh, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but I made every right decision I could have. And I made very sure I made mistakes. There, there's that's how I learned. So, mm-hmm. you know, like when I first launched the product, like I thought having a conversation having a dialogue with bodybuilders is like a good idea. And I was like, Whoa, can you talk to these people about anything? Um, not sure who ties their shoes for them, but, uh, yeah, I just like, that was a mistake, but it was a mistake that I corrected in a week and we just retargeted. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and the advertising is more styled towards, uh, like a smart, smart person. Like more, more the talking points of a busy executive instead of somebody who's spending two hours at the gym a day. Which is something I love about your product and the idea of it. And like I said, I, I want to give this thing a try because for, for busy professionals, as I said, I've got two young children and my hands on a lot of different things. It, it, the idea of having something that you can do at your house that doesn't take up a lot of time that it seems probably travel with. Yes. I mean, it's, oh, I, take it uh, I don't know. It's, yeah. It looks like it from yeah. what, I've, what uh, I've seen. It, it, there's one, I have one unit in a travel bag that lives in my suitcase. Okay. And so like I pack my suitcase around my X3 and then I, I go out the door. I have yeah, probably my, my first X3, that's my travel one. It's cause mm-hmm. you know, it's a little dinged up. So I've dropped it a couple of times on the pavement yeah. and, uh, it's a couple scratches, but yeah, it never shows up in the photos. Uh, so I think that particular X3 has gone 600,000 miles. 
That's wild. I, I was right running 200,000 yeah. miles a year. Took it everywhere. Took it to China. Uh, took it to Russia. Took it to um, Italy, Greece, mm-hmm. North Africa. Uh, right on. Even places I didn't even take pictures. It really takes the excuse making out of the equation for busy people. Mm-hmm. You know, that don't have access to a gym or don't have access to right. To you can keep it in your equipment. drawer at your office. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, just you know, take your dress shirt off and throw a t-shirt on. You can just do your workout right. in 10 minutes, you mm-hmm. know, kind of dry yourself off a little bit. Cause you sweat a little bit, uh, yeah. but it's quick. Like it's the hardest workout you'll ever do. It's just, it's over fast. Do you have five more minutes? I, yeah. I have two, two last questions. Okay. One was about that it, or not necessarily about that, but uh, uh, to piggyback on, you talk about how, um, what'd you just say? It's the, Hardest or the quickest workout? Not necessarily the hardest. What would it do? It's the hardest workout you'll ever do. It's just quick. Okay. It's just quick. Okay. Yeah. Also, I've heard you talk about how you don't typically get very sore when right. using your piece of equipment. Right. Why is I feel like so many people and and I, I I've, this is in my mindset that you know a good workout and if I'm if I'm lifting heavy and stuff I feel that soreness the next day and that you know, tells me that I did mm-hmm. something. That's just yeah. a fallacy, huh? Totally. Um, yeah, the last 60 pounds of muscle I gained, I had mm-hmm. zero days of soreness. Yeah. None at all. Yeah. Soreness is, uh, from damage. Um, and the idea that you damage the muscle and then it grows back stronger is BS. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. In fact, the damage is inversely related to growth. So the more damage you have, the less you okay. grow. So Soreness is not a measure of progress in any way. It's the opposite. It guarantees you're not going to make any progress. So, like, this is part of the reason why uh, the American College of Sports Medicine debunked the whole, like, muscle confusion theory. The idea is, you know, you want to, like, change it up or mix it up or whatever these idiots say uh, with no scientific justification for doing what they're doing. Uh, cause you need to shock the muscle to grow. That's just some shit Arnold made up. I mean, yeah, he did it. He had no way of testing if it worked. He thought it worked. Let me tell you, it didn't. Like, and there's scientific evidence that shows it does not work. Hmm. Stick with the same workout. Once your body's used to it, you stop getting sore and then you can grow a little bit with weights and with X3, you grow a lot. So, um, yeah, soreness is just, just not. But think from a survival standpoint, think of every time we grew, we'd have to be sore. Yeah. How would we avoid predators? Hmm. Doesn't make any sense. Like, I know people who they train their legs so hard they can't get off the toilet. Yeah, exactly. Right. Hard yeah, to they're just like on their hands and knees in the bathroom having trouble pulling their pants up. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm like, okay, like, you really think you did something great there? I don't. Yeah, I wonder that. I do wonder that. Yeah, sometimes you get so sore and it's like you can't really do anything for the next three, four days. Yeah. So now you've eliminated the opportunity to, to have any kind of physical benefits for, for that period of time. So yeah, it, 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 it makes sense. Again, it's it just almost retraining what we have been uh, drilled into thinking about right. exercise right. And, 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 and what works and what makes, you know, what makes somebody strong and fit. Okay, my final question for you. I finish all my uh, podcast interviews with this. Uh, again, the, the, the name of my show is The Bravest Kind. What does being brave mean to Dr. John Jake Wish? 
Probably not listening to other people, not worrying about what other people think. I think that's brave. So I think most people are just sheep. They just follow. You know, like people who play the victim. Mm-hmm. You know, like never play the victim. Victimhood is a choice. Doesn't mean like terrible shit happened to everybody. Especially through the course of time. I mean, there are, you know, like, you know, if you look at world history, there are, like, entire populations that were, like, raped and murdered, uh, you know, by another population on a regular basis. And um, awful shit happens, is my point. And you can choose to grow from an experience, even a bad one, or you can shut down and play the victim and accomplish nothing other than bitching. And, uh, you know, bitching is not a strategy. So I, I think people, uh, if they want to wake up in the morning and look back at their previous days and be proud, um, there's no room for complaints. Just figure out how you're going to solve your problems. Overcome your challenges is probably a better way to say that. Uh, don't even call anything a problem. And, uh, yeah, I think that's... That's the only answer to that question. Your product, again, is the X3 bar. Your book is Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. And what's the best place for, so to I drive people to check out? Everything? With links yeah. to everywhere. Like, you know, I, I do the most on Instagram. Like, so you can find okay. my Instagram there. But the webpage is drj.com, D-O-C-T-O-R, the letter J.com. Way easier than spelling my last name. That's phenomenal that you have that URL, Dr. Well, J. Irving is fishing now. He didn't need it. <laughs> Right on. All right. Well, Dr. Jaquish, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I feel like I could spend time here picking your brain for the next couple hours, but uh, we'll let you go. I I really appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Nice. Okay. You take care. And that's a wrap on this episode of The Bravest Kind with your host, Ryan Schaefer. Be sure to check out my website, ryanschaefer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R.com for more podcast episodes and information happening in my world. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Bravest Kind podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please take a moment to leave us a rating for the show. We'll be back at it with a new guest next week. Until then, be brave and be kind in your own lives. 